I basically, I, I moved out to L.A. kind of with the intention of being a legitimate screenwriter. Uh, I wanted to write movies, and I wanted to be paid large sums of money to do that. But once I got out there, uh, I kind of discovered it was a little more difficult than I had anticipated. Uh, poverty was was pretty much the reality for, for myself and most of the writers I know. And and to make the ends meet, some of my writer friends, I actually came from Chicago and, and Second City, so I knew a lot of comedy writers who were already out there, and they said, no, you know, don't don't bother with a day job. The best way to make a living in L.A. is just you know, write a couple porn scripts. It's easy. You can do it in like an hour or two. You don't even have to think about it. You make gobs of money. It's so much fun. Just do it. So I'm like, eh, you know, they'll make a interesting anecdote. What the hell? There's 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 worse things I could do. I don't, my mom doesn't even have to know about it. That's great. So I wrote one script, and one script read the two, and two read, led to three, and three led to four. And one day I woke up and said, holy God, I'm, I'm a pornographer. How did this happen? And the more disturbing aspect of doing it was that I started to take myself seriously. I started to think, wow, I know I want to write a, a, a porn film that's the great American porno. That, that people actually put down their remotes and like, I want to see how this story ends. This is, this is fascinating. And, and even more disturbing, I wanted to write the great American porno comedy, uh, which is not that, you know, people don't really want to laugh when they're watching porn, I, I have found usually. Um, and I also found in, in working with uh, with some of these people who, who make porn for a living, most of them are stereotypes. Most of them are the cliches you would expect from, from porn. But there's a small minority of people who, who really care about what they're doing, and they think that they're artists, and they think, you know, I want to I, I wanna make great porno. I want to I make a story that matters. And uh, to kind of set up this excerpt, I began wor- working with a director, um, who invited me into his office and, and sat me down and said, hey, have you, have you ever seen one of uh, Kurosawa's films like Rashomon and thought to yourself, that would make a great porno. That would be fantastic. Don't you think so? Um, no, actually, uh, I, I, I really don't. He's like, no, think about it, though. Like subjective nature of truth, multiple points of view. You just add a lot of people having sex. It would be perfect. We'll do it in black and white. It'll be all arty. And uh, I kind of got suckered into that and thinking, like, yeah, we could we could make Rashomon as a porn, and that's what people want. Oh, The Seven Samurai, that would be a great porn film. So this chapter uh, kind of comes after I had, I had done my first uh, porn and was kind of working on the uh, Rashomon uh, script for this director named Brandon. And uh, word, word started to spread across this uh, porn community. Very small. Everybody in porn knows each other. It's this very dysfunctional community. And uh, without me even realizing it, uh, people in the industry had been talking about me, and uh, it looked like I was poised to, to write more porn. So here we go. An excerpt from Fast Forward. That's my radio voice. Does that work? Very good. An Very excerpt good. from Fast Forward. All right. The phone started ringing around 5 a.m. I tried to ignore it, waiting for the answering machine to pick up, but whoever was calling didn't bother to leave a message. And they called back a few seconds later. When that failed, the phone rang again, and again. I put a pillow over my head, praying they'd give up eventually. But the ringing didn't stop, and, it soon, and soon it seemed that my head might explode from the throbbing. My wife groaned in protest, prodding me with a sleepy hand. Crawling out of bed, I reached for the phone. Hello? I asked. Good morning, sunshine, a gruff voice answered. Who, who is this? Your new best friend! He told me that his name was Raymond, and he directed videos for a major porn studio that I recognized instantly, even with my limited knowledge of the industry. 
Brandon showed me that script you wrote for him, Ray said. Funny stuff. Crack me up. Uh, I want you to write for us. I closed the door to our bedroom and walked out into the hall. Wow, I said. I, I, I don't know what to say. Say yes. I'd love to. I, I really would. But I already promised to write another script for Brandon. Ray sighed, but it seemed he'd been expecting this. Let me guess, he said. He gave you that Kurosawa pitch, didn't he? Yeah. How, how did you... He's been talking that same stuff for years. It's just a midlife crisis. Poor bastard is worried about his legacy. Oh, well, forget about it. Come work for us. The money's better, and we won't ask you to write like some obscure Chinese filmmaker. I considered mentioning that Kurosawa was neither obscure nor Chinese, but decided against it. I was intrigued by his offer. I'd been struggling with the Rashomon script for days and kept running up against the same creative hurdles, the most glaring being that the idea was just inherently stupid. Here was my chance to ditch a losing prospect and start fresh. Luckily, I'd been preparing for just such an opportunity. I have a few of my own ideas, I said. If you'd like to hear them, I could... Forget it, Ray interrupted. I have a project that I think would be perfect for you. It's called Butt Crazy. Oh, oh, okay. Volume 13. It's a sequel? Oh, it's not just a sequel, he insisted. It's the most popular series our company puts out. I'm taking a big chance on you. This is our most lucrative franchise, and I'm putting it in your hands. I suppose it's telling that my first reaction wasn't utter horror at the prospect of writing a script with the title Butt Crazy. My main concern was that it was a sequel. Not that I'd seen any of the other films, but a sequel just seemed a little redundant. Was there anything left to say on the subject of butts or butt-related insanity that hadn't been explored ad nauseum in the first 12 films? It was a well-trodden ground, not befitting an artist of my stature. But on the other hand, it was a major production at a major porn studio. I might have liked to develop an original script, but this route could mean a lot less headaches. There would be no pit sessions, no struggling for creative control, no nervous mem memos from financial backers. It was a pre-sold project with proven profit potential. With the high stakes involved, they weren't likely to skimp. I could reasonably expect a bigger budget, a salary hike, and possibly even my own trailer on the set. The expectations would be high, but I felt up to the task. Yes, I told myself. I'd be a fool to pass up this opportunity. Count me in, I said. Will I be working off an outline? Excuse me, Ray asked. What, what's the story about? What story? For the movie. Ray said nothing, but I could almost hear his face tighten in agitation. What the hell are you talking about, he growled. Who said anything about a story? Well, isn't there a plot, I asked. It's butt crazy, he said, as if I'd missed an obvious clue. It's about butts. Well, yes, but listen, I love your writing. You've got a keen eye for dialogue, but you're making this much more complicated than it needs to be. Oh, okay, I sighed. Just get me 20 pages by next Tuesday. And... And make it about butts? That's right. Bunch of girls with sexy butts. Give them something funny to say and we're in business. I knew better than to continue this line of discussion. For whatever reason, I'd push the limits of his patience. But I needed more information if I was going to make this work. Now, when you say something funny, I said, what do you mean exactly? Just funny! What else do you want? Say, so you don't want them saying anything specific? Listen to me, he screamed. Shut up and listen. It's about butts. Write me a script about butts.
Gotcha, I said miserably. No problem. Are you going to be able to handle this, or do I have to find another writer? No, no, I can do it, I assured him. Butts, funny, 20 pages, couldn't be clearer. All right, he said. I'll call you on Monday. Uh, should I? I said I'll call you. Jesus, Jesus, writers. The phone went dead, and I placed it back on the receiver. I staggered back into the bedroom and crawled under the covers. Maybe it was just a bad dream, I told myself. I'd wake up in a few hours and realize that the phone call had never happened. But I knew I was just fooling myself. Who is that? my wife asked groggily. You don't want to know, I said before drifting back to sleep. And that's how I began to write Butt Crazy. Volume 13. Very important to add volume 13. And Butt Crazy has the exclamation point. It's Butt Crazy! Good to know. Yes, that's so exciting. So, initially... Um, part of the ideology supporting your <laughs> entry into porn um, was to have this like shockingly hilarious anecdote for talk show appearances at the height of your fame. Exactly. And yeah. your um, like, you had a, there was also a fear present about what people's reactions would be once they found out that yes. that was your past. Yes. And now, after writing the book, you're clearly, you know, putting this experience out there <laughs> and more closely identifying yourself with the porn industry than it seems you ever intended to. Wow, I, I think I made a mistake. We should just call <laughs> this interview off. Looking uh, back, like, how has your post-porn life <laughs> encountered your fears about venturing into the industry that you had in the beginning? I, I thought it was going to be a lot worse. when I When I first got involved with it, there's kind of a rationalization amongst a lot of uh, writers uh, who do porn scripts that, well, there's Jerry Stahl. Jerry Stahl started out writing porn, and he had this great career with Permanent and Midnight and you know, a respected author. And Barry Sonnenfeld got involved in, in writing porn, and he's doing quite well with Men in Black and all these great comedies. So, so we had that rationalization, like, well, we're not the only ones doing it. But at the same time, there's that fear that you might get pigeonholed into, oh, you're the porn guy. Uh, and and it was something that that everybody, including myself, kind of struggled with this back and forth. Like, oh, there's nothing to be ashamed about. We we're not we're not in porn. We're just writing this for a little haha, a little you know something to do. And it'll be you know when when we eventually become writing superstars and we're on Letterman, like, hey Dave, funny story. Back in the day when I was a struggling, blah, blah, I wrote best butts in the West. Ha ha. Um, but it, that fear is always there that you're going to write too many. Uh, the, every time I had gotten together with comedy writers who were who were doing porn, there was there always the the main question was, well, how many have you done? It's like I've done two. Ooh, you better stop now. Well, I've done five. Oh, dude, you're totally you're in you're in porn now. There's no getting out. And uh, I, I think the crossover moment for me when I stopped caring if anybody knew about it, uh, what actually came shortly shortly after my first film came out, because uh, there was a lot of waiting time when my first film was shot. There was maybe a like three, four week period before it actually hit uh, hit video stores. So I, I'd done a couple porn since then, and uh, I got a call from my brother saying, "Hey, I, your porn's on the Spice Channel. You should." And I was like, "Wait a minute, that that can't be," because I, I had forgotten to give them my porn name, you know, the fake name that you give instead of your own, so no one knows what you've done. And I'd been thinking about it too much. So I wanted to find something really clever, like, ooh, like Mario Puzo, but with two Zs, so it stands apart. Nah, it doesn't work. So I kept thinking and thinking about it. And I guess it just 
it, it, it skipped my uh, skipped my mind that there was actually a deadline here. So apparently this porn came out, and I had no idea what name they had used. So I had this panic and ran out to video stores and, and, and the adult sections of video stores. They don't alphabetize anything, so I'm just throwing videos off the shelf like, Oh, God, where are you, you bastard? Finally find it. Like, yeah, do this, run home and put it in, you know, put it in the VCR and, like, watch it. It's so horrible and just not funny. And finally get to the end. Like, thus far, my name's not in the box or anything. And then the ending comes. And then flashing strobe lights. It says, written by Eric Spitznagel. I was like, well, that's it. I'm dead. That's my career's over. I'm just going to have to go live with the mole people. And I, I called the director and said, what what happened? I, I never gave you a porn name. He's like, yeah, you did. Uh, yeah, what, it's right here. Eric Spitznagel. <laughs> like, that's my real name. My name is, your name is Spitznagel? Like sounds like a porn name. Well, all right. So once it was once it was out there, I was sure I'd be getting a call from my agent going, "Yeah, we saw that you're doing porn now, so uh, you're fired, and you're never get out of town as quickly as possible." But I I I think what you realize when that happens is that people really aren't paying that that much attention. Uh, they they're barely paying attention to the plot. So when you get to the point uh, to the credits, I don't think anyone's like going, "Well, who wrote this? Let's let me find this. Uh, let me are they on IMDb? Let's find out who wrote Butt Crazy." Uh, so it really was in the end not a big deal. And even when I first started writing this book, it, it began as kind of sharing stories with some of my friends. After after my wife and I left LA. Uh, we went back to Chicago, and they're like, "Oh, late nights at bars." They're like, "Tell us, tell us that about the Kurosawa guy again." And uh, I eventually, some of them convinced me to write an essay about uh, one of these directors. I was like, eh, "I don't know if I want to really admit to that," but no, oh, what, what the heck? At this point, it doesn't matter. So, got the essay out there, and then even after that, when it's, when editors and publishers were still calling me and not saying like, "We never want to hear from you again," porn writer. <laughs> uh, they kind of evolved into like, all right, I can write a few more stories. And before I know it, I had the whole book out there. It's like, well, yeah, sure. What the heck? What's what's the worst that can happen? So the book um, reflects upon the fears, hopes, and dreams of seemingly any writer that's yeah. trying to make it. Um, I guess, what did you get out of the experience in terms of where you wanted your career to go and interesting how you wanted it to grow from porn right <laughs> well i think i think to grow from porn I, I would like uh my future writing to not involve people taking their pants off i think that's the first and foremost uh what i really found interesting about the whole porn thing was how writers in general really take themselves seriously how it's hard to put your self-esteem to the side. I mean, it, it's it's about porn, but it really it could be about anything in which relevance is 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 not part of the job description. I mean, the the porn the, the title fast forward comes from an industry term for porn scripts, where they're called fast forwards, which basically means whatever you're writing, uh, no one is paying attention to. They're going to fast forward through it. So when your irrelevance is written into the job description, it's 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 pretty telling that you shouldn't take this job too seriously. Uh, but I it. In some ways, it's it's to me it, it, it's similar to like if a writer was hired to write greeting cards 
and suddenly really decided they wanted to write the greatest greeting card ever. They wanted to add plot to it and make it elaborate. And I really want this greeting t- card to tell a story and to be, to be, you know, have a lot of subtext and inner meaning. And, and that's really not possible. It's a greeting card. And the best greeting cards are set up payoff. And they, you should be able to write them in 20 minutes. And I've, I've seen a lot of writers who kind of get caught up. You know, they could be in advertising or I've, I've known a lot of sitcom writers who, you know, kind of lash out against what, what's expected of them. So, yeah, to me, it was less about porn and, le- and more about uh, kind of a misguided, <clears throat> misguided ambition of, of not settling for less when you really think like I can. Well, it doesn't matter what this what the limitations of this genre are. I can make it amazing. I can. Yeah, sure. It's about pizza guy knocks on door and everyone have sex, but I can make this the best pizza guy scenario ever. And it seemed that the directors encouraged that while at the same time, like, like kind of playing the good cop, bad cop of saying, you're brilliant, you're hilarious, this is amazing, and then, (laughs) like, it's three lines, they can't do it, it's a monologue. See, that's exactly it. The the Kurosawa guy, who really wanted to make this elaborate, artsy, art film uh, of of porno, was also the same one saying, like, "Eh, don't use too many complicated words, they really get confused. See, he actually told me, like, three syllables. Every word should be, if it, that, 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 that's fine. Bet, 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 bet. No, too many, too many. Count it out. Go through your scripts and count it. And, uh, yeah, that, that seemed to be a contradiction to have on, on the one hand, oh, I want to be Hitchcock, but a really dumbed down Hitchcock. Yeah. Um, let's see. So, early in the book, you kind of defend the porn industry and you specifically <laughs> comment on how the participants that you witnessed didn't appear to be victims. And then as the book progresses, you explore how writers become trapped in pornography. Yeah. Do, you, do you see a difference between the writers being trapped in porn and the performers? That's a good question. It, it's, very, it's, it's hard for me to generalize about the actors because I didn't have much connection with them because they were very cut off from the writers. I mean, they're, they're such a, a closed community and very protective of themselves. Uh, that, that writers are considered outsiders. They're not the ones who are, are, are going to be there at the, at the parties at night who are actually socializing with them. So it, it was, uh, it's, it's hard to say that they're not victims. I mean, to some extent they are. They're not being kidnapped and, and, and forced at gunpoint a la, you know, Linda Lovelace, but there, there, there obviously is some dysfunction going on there. You don't end up in porn because you have healthy ideas about sex, but it was, it was a lot less, it was a lot more comfortable than I thought it was going to be. They, they all seemed very friendly and happy to be there. And when, you know, and there was one instance in which a director was like, oh, to, to an actress, like, you don't need, we, we cut your scene today. I still have your paycheck. And she, she didn't want to leave. She wanted to hang out. And these were her friends. And these this is where she felt comfortable. So, so it's still, yeah, v- victim to me seemed like a harsh word for it. But certainly it's not, it's something that, uh, that therapy might be required if you're like, this is, I want to have sex in front of the camera. This is a healthy thing for me to do. Yeah, probably not so much. Uh, but so I could I could only really approach it from the writer's perspective because those are the people I was surrounded with and uh, and talked to and how they got how they got suckered into it and and even then calling a writer a victim is is an over, overstatement uh, a, a victim only in terms of uh, only in terms of uh, giving up on your ambition I think because what another thing that was fascinating about about porn is that there are a lot of great writers doing it. 
I've met a couple writers who had written for The Simpsons, who had done major screenplays, and they they kept coming back to porn, they said, because the expectations were so low. You could still get paid a good amount of money, but, you know, you really didn't have to deliver much to be considered a genius. You know, if you're writing for The Sim- Simpsons, they want some funny stuff, but you could go to a porn director and go, all right, I have this script. Uh, sorority girls are in a van and it breaks down in the desert and they have sex with an alien. And directors are like, wow, that is the most amazing. Where do you come up with your ideas? And they shower with you with praise and like, here, have a briefcase full of money. Wow, you are so. All right, so this script is about Bigfoot going to live in a college dorm. Whoa, my Lord, you are, you are the, you are the Charles Bukowski of porn writing. Where do you come from? So it it kind of flatters their ego, and you you love being able to wake up in the morning and spend like ten minutes on on a writing project and be praised and called a genius. And I think some writers found that intoxicating, that they got they got paid a good amount of money, they didn't have to do much effort, and they their ego was stroked. So it's they kind of gave up too soon. Their their safety net was uh, was porn. Like though this is just in case I can't make my rent. And eventually they start to put the mainstream project projects to the side. And they're like, I'm just going to focus on this because everybody loves me. Everybody thinks my my words are golden and uh, I don't have to break a sweat and I'm done by noon. So I, I think that's that's where writers become a victim is that they give up on their ambition and they give up on their ideals. So how many screenplays did you write and see <laughs> filmed before you realized that you were not going to revolutionize the industry and wow it's, it's embarrassing to have to on. say uh, how many <laughs> um i kind of realized after the fourth one that it wasn't going to happen and it took six writing six scripts and I, I actually only saw a couple get produced okay because uh, you, you realize once you show up at the set that there's no reason for you to be there there's absolutely I mean, you, you, everybody in the porn set has a job. The the director, the cameraman, the boom mic operator, the actors and actresses, they're, they're all doing something. You're just kind of sitting on the sidelines going, hey, I guess I'm watching people have sex. There's really there, – I, can I rewrite this scene? Do you need a punch-up with that? I can I can polish the – no, the dialogue doesn't matter. Okay. And, and you start to feel like some dude in a van hanging out next to a high school. Like, hey, do you need a ride home? Like, ah, I'm creepy. I'm creeping myself out. Oh, okay. And, and yeah, you start to rationalize in your head, like, there's a reason for me to be here. And when, when you first get invited to, to a porn set, there's that little frat boy part of your brain that's like, yeah, go to a porn set. Da, 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 da. And you show up and you're like, wow, this is icky. And I'm not really... <laughs> I thought I would like this, but I don't. Oh, it's in an abandoned warehouse in the valley, and uh, there's this odor in the air. Like, what is what is that? Has anything in here been cleaned? Can you at least take a hose to it? Just hose it down. It's that funk, that funky smell. Like, I, I can't even explain what it is. It's some kind of uh, lotion that's been left on a sheet for too long. Yeah, it's not nice. I'm trying. To, if you ever get invited, if anyone's listening and they get invited to a porn set, don't go. There's nothing. Nothing sexy about it. It's just gross, and you want to you want to take a Silkwood shower after you get done. Just get the guys in the hazmat suit scrubbing down your body. I'm sure there's a certain relief that accompanies that sort of reaction to a porn set. Also, there is, yeah, because if you enjoy it too much, you're like, wow, I guess I'm I'm a pervert. That's all there is to it. Now, <laughs> on the one hand, it's like I shouldn't come back here because <laughs> it's so gross. But it's a good thing I don't think I shouldn't come back here because I liked it too much. Yes, yes, because that kind of leads to madness. 
Yeah. Uh, then then you're the dude hanging out in the bushes, kind of like, what? I'm doing nothing. What's 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 the problem? You're stalking ex girlfriends, and <laughs> yeah, you, it's really not a good thing. Um, the your relationship with your wife is <laughs> explored in the book in terms of she encourages you to write for porn and yes. take the money, but then has disdain for the actual time you spend like around pornography. And yes. I noticed that you're still wearing a ring, so it seems <laughs> that you made it through the porno woods. But, yes. That's uh, a, the porno woods. That's a nice way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, and now that you've revisited the experience with the book, how how has her opinion of the whole ordeal changed throughout it? She, she, like you said, she started out thinking, oh, that's funny. Yeah, do it. It's, it's, at, at the time, she was, uh, she was making a living uh, as a game show contestant. That she her her aspiration was to be was to write sitcoms, but in the meantime she was going on game shows and uh, making to make a living in this game show con- contestant is very hit or miss. So someday sometimes she'd come home with money, sometimes like hey we have a synthesizer now, nice, let's eat that. So I, I think she found the hilarity of it, like oh we came out here to be writers and I'm on game shows and you're writing smut films, so that's kind of funny. But I think the more it wasn't so much hanging out on the, on the porn sets <clears throat> that bothered her. It was when I started to take porn too seriously. That's when because she thought you know write a porn script, doing it, do it in a couple hours, and that's what it should take. But after my third or fourth one, I'd be you know spend weeks on these things and stay up. I'd be up at four a.m. still pounding away on the computer like no, but this doesn't make sense with the. Would the school marm really have sex with this dude from from the uh, uh, that no the plot doesn't follow through what's what's his motivation for having sex on a plane and she'd like it's it's porn just write it why are you overthinking it's like no no this I'm trying to make this punchline work and so that when it, when it kind of monopolized my my whole life and when you know like oh it was your birthday I missed that because I was working on Rain Woman Part Seventeen wow. The most yeah. See if you could see the expression <laughs> you're making right now. That's uh, that pretty much says it all. Like wow, that uh, not so good. That's not so good. That's that's when your stuff ends up on the front lawn. Mm. So, but now after after it's all out and we got out of, out of L.A., she's like that was that was pretty funny. She she actually encouraged me to uh, to write this thing and to get it all get it all out there and share the comedy. Although she looks back at it and, and she's like, could you have made me sound a little better? I sound like a jerk. <laughs> Whatever. What's that? Make me funnier. But, you know, sadly, it's all true. Well, I really liked it in the end when she goes and gets your check and gets the car. Yes. I was a coward Ties up about all it. the loose ends. and She could. She can be very there. intimidating. And she. And I left my last porn set and kind of forgot to take my car because I just ran. And, well, I don't want to give away too much. But yeah. she had to go back and get my go to some very scary porn people. And uh, and get my check and get the car back and uh, and uh, I, I have no idea what happened but I I assume that uh, that they won't be on our trail because she she said some things. Um, the book kind of skirts many of the you know issues people have with porn, and when you um, describe the interview you you participated in after the release of the first film, All right? Um, you. Like report the journalists denying of the objectification of women in pornography. <laughs> yes, but you really just like you know paraphrased him. Um, like, do his statements reflect 
how you felt on the porn set and how did your like firsthand experience skew your opinions on that issue? I, his opinions, his, his basic argument, uh, this reporter I talked to, was that objective, objectification doesn't matter in porn because everyone gets objectified, uh, which I didn't agree with at all and still don't agree with. I think it's the porn people come up with a lot of a lot of arguments to defend what they're doing, to defend that, you know, oh, it's fine. Everyone misconstrues what we're doing. It's, it's healthy. We're, we're actually making porn to help people with their sex lives. We're, we're, we're a guidance for them. We want to, you know, they, they don't even like referring to it as porn. They want to be erotica. So there, to me, I found that ridiculous. And I heard a lot of that. And there's a lot of porn people who sit around and debate these ideas and and never really take the devil's advocate with their own industry. They they're basically just trying to find more reasons to justify that what they're doing is completely okay. In terms of my own opinions, I see I'm I'm torn with it. I never felt like it was an entirely good thing or I I, I struggle with those questions quite a bit in terms of uh whether I was contributing to something that was actually worthwhile in culture. Uh but at the end of the day I feel like like some sometimes I tried to explore it in this book, and then and then I'd stop myself and go, you know what? It's a comedy book, and in some ways, it's not really even about porn. So trying to get into that, once you get into the deeper issues of of porn's relevance and cultural significance, you kind of you kind of bleach the funny out of it. So um, it's 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 a good it's a good question to be raised, though, especially with porn being so popular these days. And like being the one actually writing people into these situations. Yes, yes, that's true. And dictating how many people are in each scene and whatnot. But actually, there's there's very little that I had to do in terms of, of the sex. It so well, basically, and... it's for writing a porn s- script is kind of like writing the pun- writing the setup to a joke, and then the actors do the punchline. So you you're creating the scenarios in which something's going to happen, and then there's a shorthand like sex scene one, two, or three, or four. There's a certain number of sex scenes per porn film, and then how many people are in the scene, and in terms of what actually happens, uh, it's basically just the actors sitting around going, "All right, so what are you comfortable with? What you know, do this? Nah, I don't like. I don't. Don't nobody should touch my elbow. Okay, that works." So they they pretty much work everything from there, which is kind of nice because I I really didn't want to describe too much of that. I just want like, and then there's a a guy comes in the room and he's wearing a pair of dickies and blah blah, blah. and then you work it out because I, I really wanted no part of that because I I can do the comedy, but uh, in terms of the sex part of it, it's like oh, I'm very uncomfortable. Um, for those just tuning in, you are listening to the Living Writers Show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. And we are speaking with Eric Spitznagel about his recently published book, Fast Forward, Confessions of a Porn Screenwriter. Um, so you are from Ann Arbor. Actually. I am. Born, born and raised. Born and raised. And have spent a significant amount of time in the Midwest as well, in Chicago. Um, but you mentioned that tonight, when you read it, <laughs> Shaman Drum at 7 p.m., you will be... Reading about pornography to your mother. Yeah. So that's, that's how I like to think about it. The audience, is, they might as well not be there. I'm just going to be focused on my mom and like, hey, mom, uh, remember that time when I didn't call for about six months? Yeah, this is what was happening. And in the book, you actually talk about telling your parents about what you were doing. <laughs> yes. 
did, I mean, was that maybe the one conversation you guys ever had about it? We actually, the, the conversation in the book is kind of pieced together from several. Because okay. in, in the first, my mom was like, oh, she, she's very supportive and, and really like, well, whatever you need to do, dear, that's fine. But once she knew that I was writing three or four, it's like, I don't know how comfortable I am with this. I don't know if you really, what if you get pegged as the porn guy? Or what if, what happens if they try to, they might ask you to be a performer. What if they, this is how it happens. You start off writing and the next thing you know, uh, you know, it's kind of the pot leads to heroin theory. That once you start writing, then the next thing you know, you'll have your pants off. And there's really, there's no nice way of telling your mom that that's not going to happen, that, uh, there's certain endowment issues that go along with porn. That and how do you bring that up with your mom? And do you want to? <laughs> not really. So you just like, well, you're just gonna have to trust me on this. That uh, no, that's not gonna happen. Uh, my dad thought it was very entertaining. He he, there, there's the, there's an old urban legend that uh, the Vatican has a, a kind of a collection of porn in, in the basement to kind of uh, I, I guess to document sin. So he's like, there's a, so there's a good chance that your porn will be there. So you're in the Vatican, son. Good, good going. So that's that's you know that's him looking for the silver lining of that of the porn cloud, <laughs> so to speak. Nice, nice. Um, also, you you and your wife at the end of the book flee California, just yes. hit the road, head east. <laughs> but since then, you've returned to California to live. I have, but San Francisco, which... Uh, much not a, different. Yes, much, much different. I don't think I could live in L.A. again, because uh, a lot of a lot of my, my comedy writing friends who are still there and the ones who dabbled in porn are still doing it, even as their, their careers are, are progressing. Uh, and I think it's a constant temptation uh, in, in terms of of, of, uh, of finances that when things aren't working out, like at the end of the month, oh, I can't quite get my rent paid. Now nah, just write the script; it'll be it'll be easy. So it, it leaving living in L.A. and quitting porn to me would be the equivalent of having an addiction to pills and working in the pharmacy. You're really you're gonna keep sneaking pills in your pocket. You have to leave the pharmacy and then get clean. So that's. That's to me like I and I've cut off contact with all the directors. I've changed the changed all their names in here. I want nothing to do with them anymore. Because some of them are scary people. Some of them are, you know, like they re- directing movies about clowns and they're really they walk around with baseball bats and and they're they're they you know there was one director in particular who's like I could I could disembowel you. He told me ways like if you don't finish my script by next Tuesday, I could have you disemboweled. And and you get all the thoughts of the Wonderland murders and like wow I really, ooh I don't want to be involved in this. It's it's a very it's a very um, for the for the most part it's it's a harmless community but there there are a few people involved in there who are a little bit sketchy who you don't want to you know the kind of people who are like hey come out to my van let's do an eight ball you're like mm, not so much hey let's go let's go bury a hooker in the in the desert wow yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna skip off on that thanks so much. But uh, it, it's just the kind of people that if you get too involved with, you end up getting going to their Christmas parties, and, and it really ends badly. So, yeah, I, I don't think as, as many friends as I still have in L.A., and, and sometimes that city can be nice, I, I'd rather just stay away from it. Um, so what exactly have you been up to since? Since then, I've been, uh, I, do, I do a lot of writing for Playboy magazine. And uh, I'm a contributing editor and frequent contributor to uh, the Believer magazine, which is about as unporn as you can get. 
Uh, and actually, I'm living in San Francisco now and doing a lot of day-to-day work with The Believer, which has been very nice. And uh, in addition to that, still writing more books. I'm, I'm, I'm guest editing uh, an upcoming uh, issue of Monkey Bicycle, a uh, liter- literary journal, uh, doing the, uh, the all-comedy edition. And it's kind of devoted to uh, uh, dirty comedy, believe it or not. A couple of, uh, a couple of uh, Ann Arbor authors are involved, actually. Uh, Elizabeth Ellen wrote a fantastic story that uh, that is in here that I can't really go into much detail about, just in case she's listening. But that's going to be that's going to be coming out in the summer sometime. And also this summer, I have uh, co-written Ron Jeremy's autobiography. And how did that come about? <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm the Truman Capote of porn. Basically, <laughs> what I'm finding out. Uh, I, I, from what I understand, they the the HarperCollins editors had read my essay about uh, my porn experiences that were on that were on Salon.com that led to this book, and they're like, "That we really like that. Would you be interested in this gig writing about Ron Jeremy's life?" It's like, well, I guess, sure. And at the time, I didn't know that this book was going to come out, much less come out in the same year. That I would be like, back to back porn. Here you go, mom. Enjoy. And the uh, the Ron Jeremy book is called The Hardest, and in parentheses, Working Man in Show Business. So you can tell it's going to be a classy affair. <laughs> and I've, um, I've, I've already heard far too many stories about three ways with Charlie Sheen that I, I never, I never want to hear that again. It, it's really, and Ron, bless his heart. He uh, he's a good guy, but he doesn't he doesn't he wanted every single story to be in this book, everything that ever happened in his life. And some of them are fascinating. Some of them are like crazy. And then there's some stories like I was in the I was at the whiskey with Slash and then and then Jerry Seinfeld walked in. Yeah. Of the TV show Seinfeld. Well. Well, Ron, that's not really a story. Yeah, there was a hit on NBC. Are you aware of that? And he came in. And he said, "Hey, Ron, how you doing?" And I said, "How are you, Jerry?" Well, Ron, that's uh, that's fantastic, but really, that doesn't qualify as a story. And there there were many of those, so it's kind of uh, working through, kind of trimming off the fat. And also, Ron, uh, he has he still has aspirations towards the mainstream career, so much so that. He, he doesn't want to include that many porn stories. So uh, when I turned in the first draft, he looked at it and like, this whole thing, everything is about sex. Well, Ron, you're a porn star. What do you? Well, I've done some work for PETA. Why, why can we put that in? What? No, not unless you're having sex with a dog. No, I don't think anyone's going to want to read this. What? Did, you're Ron Jarrett. You're the hedgehog. No one cares. About, oh, you poor. Get over here. And give him a noogie. Oh, man. So that that should be interesting. That should be. Uh, and luckily, I don't have to do uh, any promotion for that because that's all. That's the Ron Jeremy show. When will that be coming out? I think know? July or August, okay. thereabouts. Yeah, I'm sure Ron will be rolling through town and can just trash me. Right <laughs> back. But I, I like. I actually had a very good I'll time. See if working I can him. schedule an interview with him. That after would be this preparation. <laughs> I would love to uh, to sit in on that. Oh, Ronnie. I'll be sure to send you a copy. He liked he actually liked doing a lot of these interviews uh at his he has his condo in uh in uh in Hollywood and this big pool out back. He's always like, Let, let's go, let's hang out in the in the in the pool, come on and take his clothes off and like come on get in the jacuzzi with me. It's like Ron, I really wow, I just don't I don't know if I wanna get into a hot, confined body of water with you. No offense, but you just told me about having sex with four thousand women. I really, no, they're really, they're, I don't want 
the kind of rashes that come with that. Uh, I don't want our bodies to be joined by a mass of water. No, at all. Not Absolutely at all. not. That I might as well drink out of a public toilet in the gas station. That's just not going to happen. Oh, man. There is no way. Or um, we're bringing your show to an all-time low here. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> so... <laughs> Back to the to the book. Um, <laughs> when you were is writing the screenplays, were you doing a lot of research? <laughs> I guess basically, did you watch But Crazy one through twelve? That's a good. I I actually considered watching But Crazy one through twelve, but then I thought like I don't want to be affected by what the what the other uh, other writers uh, wrote about unless there was some kind of through line. Mm-hmm. Like I asked the director, is there some recurring motifs or or characters I need to like? Was there a cliffhanger in But Crazy twelve? And uh, yeah, not so much. I, I tried briefly watching some porn and and kind of you know seeing how stories were developed, and it taught me absolutely nothing. So when it, when it really got down to it, most of the most of the writing was terrible, and you know even watching when you look back at the classics like the golden age of porn in the in the 70s like Behind the Green Door and Deep Throat they're they're really they're not that good. If if you look at Behind the Green Door, it's basically Marilyn Chambers gets kidnapped and then she's having sex with a guy in a mask on a trampoline. It's like oh, is that is that really a story? It's not really. Uh, not so much. It, it couldn't stand alone. There was nothing that I that I could track down that if you took the sex out of it, which is really what I wanted, was a was a porno script that if you took the sex out, it would be uh, it would stand alone. That people would would come to movie theaters and see it like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, where they'd shout out their favorite lines of dialogue and you know dresses their favorite characters and something that would really like the sex was almost beside the point, and that that really doesn't exist and i couldn't find anything to use as a as a starting point although jerry stall i forget the one he wrote but there was there was one porn that he wrote that was actually it it was so disturbing it was kind of you know an apocalypse now meets mad max that just freakish and weird and in this in this futuristic state uh that really i i think I don't know how anybody could have watched it and went like, I'm feeling in a sexy mood now after watching this guy wear a pig's head. What the... But that that was the closest I could find to something that was any kind of uh, inspiration. Uh, and I've actually... I've included in the book uh, the entire the butt crazy. The at the end, yeah. That's... Uh, just looking at it now going, wow, it's... not <laughs> really as funny as I had hoped. Um, wow. You explain to the... Um, is the readers this theory about um, like famous actors appearing in porn at different parts of their careers? That's called the Stallone Schwartz principle, yes. and <laughs> I feel like that's a link that um, can be made between like performers and writers when it comes to you know looking at. Um, Jerry Stahl and Barry Sonnefield and yes. Wes Craven. Yes, yes. About, like, do you feel like there's a right time in a writer's career to be writing porn on the side? I think oh. it, it is probably pre-fame, uh, as as with the acting. If you if you get to if you get into porn in any capacity when you're still a relative unknown, it, it makes a big difference because then you can everyone can look back and go, oh, I was young, I made foolish mistakes. I mean, I'm 37, so I probably can't really <laughs> say, oh, I was so I was young and carefree. What was going through my head back then, the crazy days of my mid 30s? 
But uh, yeah, I, th- I think the same applies. Because if you get into if you get into porn when you have any kind of uh, any kind of notoriety or fame whatsoever, it's just no one's the public's not going to forgive you. Uh, but I, there's there's less on the line, obviously, for writers because mm-hmm. unless you know, I don't think John Irving would ever end up writing porn. Although that would be that would be entertaining. <laughs> or David Sedaris. I've always I wanted David Sedaris to write a, a porno, but I think. I don't, I, maybe that could ruin his career. Maybe not. Maybe if if he wrote a, por- a porno about the rooster, I think that would be fantastic. I would so pay to see that. And then his, uh, but then his stories could be ruined forever because I would imagine the rooster uh, doing horrible, horrible things, and that would not. Uh, that would make it not so amusing. <laughs> and now I'm going to be sued by David Sedaris. Oh, I'm sure everything will be fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, that's basically all I've got prepared. Is there anything that you want listeners to know? <laughs> um, actually, well, I, I guess one one little amusing uh, anecdote that I learned on my on my trek uh, when I was in San Francisco. Um, actually, wait. Before I get into that, I have to make one quick aside about the uh, about the cover. Uh, there is a penis on the cover. I've had a lot of people ask me, "Is that actually?" Yes, that is that is a, a penis, which means uh, we're not going to do well at Walmart. And originally, there were uh, there were balls on this uh, cover as well. Until the publisher said, "Maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we should cut that out." And you really—I don't think you've been in publishing and really experienced the glory of, of publishing until you've gotten a, an email from the editor with the with the subject line that reads testicles question mark <laughs> testicles nice. that's such a great thing to have in your inbox anyway so i was uh, i was in san francisco at the reading and uh, afterwards there was this german guy in the audience who who ran up in very thick accent it was like i i was in town on uh, on business and i saw this advertised in the paper and i just had to i had to come and see if this was a joke cuz i thought i thought you were kidding uh with your name it's like, what, with my name? What's wrong with my name? It's like, do you know what Spitznagel translates as? It's like, well, I had heard that it meant sharp nail. Is that? He's like, well, it's some in some regions, but uh, but the more popular kind of slang version is Spitz translates as horny, and Nagel means I'm going to have sex or I'm I'm or I, I have just had sex. So it's like, your name is Eric. Eric is horny and wants to have sex. It's like, I thought you were kidding with that. It's like, if you came to my village and you met my mother and you said, hello, I am Spitznagel, my father would cut you. Oh, my like, goodness. Wow. Okay. So I guess I guess it's really not that much a surprise that Eric is horny and wants to have sex, ended up writing porn. Writing porn. Um, you've been on your book tour for about a month now. I have. And it, what, um, I guess people's reactions been... Has anyone been outraged, or have you had any butt crazy fans show up? <laughs> I have. It's it's been a weird reaction. Uh, it's been a mix of people who are really there for the comedy, and and a mix of people who wanted to have a serious debate about porn, but not in the ways you might expect. Not in terms of objectification and and whether porn is is something that's important in culture, but whether porn can have a story. I mean, I've been in in Seattle and in San Francisco. There were some spirited discussions about 
well, sure, you can put porn in story. You just have to, you know, this back and forth about, well, what about erotica? What about, you know, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of different ways that, uh, you know, there's, there's some explicit sex in, in, in certain mainstream films. Does that count as story and porn mixing together? Uh, so a, re- a, a really fierce debate about whether that's actually possible, whether, whether smarter porn is, is, uh, is a mistake, whether, whether, People do want more dialogue and more story and, and you know, the, the rise of, of feminist porn and, and, and porn written and directed and produced by women, whether that's, that goes against the grain of the, of the male-produced porn, which is pretty much just about the male orgasm and just gets cut right to the sex. Uh, so, yeah, that was, I was intrigued by that, that, that people really uh, approach, at least some, some readers approach this with, as, as a launching pad to discuss whether whether story and smarter porn are possible. I mean that I was just sitting there going, I'm a comedy writer. I can't really I guess maybe it is, but uh I go back to the greeting card analogy. I mean you could you could write smarter greeting cards if you wanted to. You could have greeting cards with great plots, but does anyone really want them? I mean with the with the feminist porn, which is a fantastic idea and in the late nineties it got very popular, but it kind of tapered off and almost disappeared, mostly be, be, because uh, as much as a lot of women liked talking about it and defending it, no one was really buying it. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, the market was still being run by the frat boys who, you know, come home with 20 videos and like, we're going to have a party. Let's get some Pat's Blue Ribbon and watch porn. So, yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I my, In my mind, because of my experiences, I still think story and porn will never go together. That uh, it, it's just not possible to connect with an audience when when they're when they're watching something to masturbate, and that's basically what porn was invented for, mm-hmm. and what I think it will always be. Uh, sad to say, and maybe it is. Maybe someone will will prove me wrong, but I just I, I've I've never had anybody run up to me and say I was watching this porn last night and it changed the way I thought about the world. It was fascinating, or or you know. Even more so, like, I saw this porn last night. It was hilarious. It was like Groundhog Day, but kind of dirty. You just, you don't see a lot of that. You don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's possible because it, 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 it serves its purpose and then people turn it off. And to have it be anything more than that, you know, for all these people writing porn and directing porn and acting porn who really want to have that connection, they should just stop doing porn. Mm-hmm. Go, you could be a kid doing poetry and in a suburb of Chicago, and you have a better chance of connecting with your audience than than someone doing porn. Um, I don't want to give away too much, but when you <laughs> decide to leave the porn industry, it's uh, the catalyst seems to be your reluctance to like get another person into the porn industry. Yes. Um, yes, that is true. I feel like that kind of summarizes your take on the porn industry, at least at that time. But since then, like writing the Ron Jeremy biography, <laughs> it seems like you're not like heading back in the direction of porn, <laughs> but at least like... I've gone full circle. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, yeah, it's a, well, well, basically, there, there's a chapter in the book in which... Someone semi-famous uh, involved in sports is considering getting into porn, and I'm kind of pulled in because like, well, you're the writer, you're good with words, convince him that he should do this, and I, I kind of have second thoughts about it because at that point, 
I'm I'm directly involved. When I'm writing scripts, I can just you know throw them out there, and I'm not I'm not getting anyone involved in this industry. I'm still kind of hazy in what I think about it. You know, I I I, I enjoy making an easy living. I enjoy feeling like I could be relevant, but I don't want to be the one you know hiring the cameraman or, or paying the actors or getting anybody involved. Recruiting. In, yes, recruiting. I don't want to be down by the docks going, hey, do you have a, any runaways here who need a job? <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's the part that pushed me over the edge. Like, like wow, if I, if I convince this, this uh, athlete to be in this porn film, I'm officially a pornographer. I'm mm-hmm. in the business. I'm like a Larry Flint with a cigar and a, you know, lots of sweat wipe, being wiped off his forehead and sitting in a wheelchair. So that was that was a, a point I didn't want to cross. And I guess with the, with the Ron Jeremy book, there was still a distance there because it wasn't it was him telling a story. I was just in some ways I felt like I was just a translator. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to put the the words in order that they that they should be. I mean, the Ron Jeremy book was frustrating because he didn't really want to examine. Why? What I thought was fascinating about his, about his life. How, how does a guy get into porn? In the mid seventies, it makes sense why he got into porn. It was fashionable then. Jack Nicholson and Warren Beatty were, were hanging out with porn stars. It seemed like a way to get into uh, into the legitimate acting uh, into a legitimate acting career. But then you know it started to kind of change and turn into videos and. And, and lost that uh, mainstream appeal, but he stayed with it, and he continues to stay with it. And he's in his fifties now, and still thinks that he's going to be a mainstream actor. And, and he's not going to be. He's going he, forever. He's going to be Ron Jeremy, the porn star, and he still does porn. And which that's fascinating to me because if he really wants to be a mainstream actor, give up the porn. You don't need to do the porn. You have enough in your bank account. But I think he loves that fame. He he loves and he hates it. He he hates being Ron Jeremy the porn star, but he loves going out and having everyone go like Ron Jeremy the porn woo and being surrounded. So he it's that constant struggle between what he wants from his life and what he's what he's stuck with. Uh, but he didn't really want to examine that, and that's I, I found very frustrating. Working with him on, and you know, in the end of the day, it's his book. I, I, I'm the co-writer, but essentially, it's it's life. His life story is he wants to tell it, and it's not as not the way I would have told it. I would want to dig a little bit under the surface and understand like why does a man end up staying in porn so long if he really doesn't want to do this? If he wants to be a mainstream actor, once he once you've got a couple million dollars in the bank, you shouldn't be making porn anymore if you don't want to. You're fine. Financially, you're fine, but he's addicted to fame, and that that would be to me that would have made a fascinating book. So that's why I don't feel like I'm supporting too much because I'll tell the stories he wants to tell. Mm-hmm. There are, there are a few stories that I left off for for uh, morality's sake. Uh, he he has certain advice on safe sex, which I don't are not accurate. Let's uh-huh. say let's uh, let's say if if Ron is to uh, suggest in lieu of condoms uh, that one's puts their genitals in a sink and washes them and slaps them, that that will cure you of, uh, of any STDs. No, Ron, no, that's not true. That He's like, no, no, I've been in porn. Like, No, Ron, you can't wash with soap. And, no, Ron, no, we're not putting that in the book. Some kid's going to read this. Like, that's I swear to God. Terrible. Well, you know what, Ron? I'm going to stick with condoms because those have worked with me. And let's just, let's not, okay. Well, it's definitely uh, an interesting idea that these books are coming out around the same time and yes, will be the Truman know, on Capone the shelf of porn. <laughs> there you go. 
Well, that just about does it for us here on the Living Writer Show. Um, Eric, <laughs> Eric will be reading tonight at 7 p.m. at Shaman Drum on State Street. So it would be interesting to attend that. <laughs> and we are going to have a brief music interlude um, before Free Speech Radio News. This next song is Maurice with This Is Acid from the Can You Jack Soul Jazz compilation. So thank you very much, Eric, for coming down today. Thank you for having chatting. me. It was fantastic. I had a lot of fun. It was definitely a good time. So thank you again. <laughs> You're welcome. This is acid.
Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, May 24, 2006. From the studios of KPFK in L.A., I'm Ara Bogado. On today's newscast, we'll take a look at the government's plans for a worker database in the immigration bill. Community organizations say they intend to sue the Department of Energy for violations at the Los Alamos National Laboratory. And South Central farmers call a red alert after a court orders their eviction. We'll bring you these stories and more after the headlines. I'm Shannon Young with the Free Speech Radio News headlines. The Senate Intelligence Committee has endorsed General Michael Hayden to become the new director of the Central Intelligence Agency. The three Democrats who voted against him cited concerns over the warrantless wiretapping domestic surveillance program that began during Hayden's leadership of the National Security Agency. The full Senate is expected to meet for his confirmation hearing tomorrow. Meanwhile, the American Civil Liberties Union announced today that chapters in 20 states are filing complaints with state regulators regarding recent reports of NSA access to the phone records of millions of Americans. Mitch Perry reports from Tampa. The ACLU says they are reacting to the two major news stories that have been published in the past five months about domestic surveillance. Howard Simon is executive director with the Florida ACLU. He said his group has filed a complaint and request for information for several telephone companies with the Florida Public Service Commission. Simon says that on the face of it, the telephone companies named in the USA Today report have broken Florida law, as he mentioned a specific state statute. Which essentially makes it a misdemeanor with a $25,000 a day violation for the divulgence of customer records unless authorized by customers or required by 